Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. So who are we getting the privilege to speak with this week? Well, I'm super excited to talk with our friend Liz Kelly today. And when I think of Liz, um, the gratitude blooming card that comes up for me is actually the card number eight, community, represented by the bleeding heart flower. The prompt says, which hearts in your community are you grateful for and how can you express it to them? So I met Liz like 2015 in a conference, Um, this conference called Wisdom 2.0, really featuring the intersection between technology and mindfulness. And Liz and I just randomly met at this conference and we just felt this strong connection um, And we've managed to cultivate a beautiful friendship and a beautiful collaboration since then. And so I feel like I wanted to start the podcast just really naming the power of community and what can happen when we take the chance to just reach out to someone that we feel a resonance with and see how it unfolds. That is one of your magic powers, Belinda, a willingness to uh, reach out and see what resonance might be there and then to cultivate uh, a relationship and and not just you know have uh, a relationship um, but really then co-create things. Liz you have such an impressive um, bio and what I'll start with is just I'm really inspired by the way in which you take such bold uh, leaps in your life. I mean you had a successful career uh, in marketing, um, working with co- large corporations. And you, at the point when we met, you chose to leave that profession to embark on the wild unknown of, you know, some calling that you had. Fast forward to 2022, you know, you've written a book about the divine feminine um, and unpacking what that means from a historical perspective. You've invested in your family. Um, you know, moving from California to Virginia to live more on the land. I love that we recently talked about you were like, you know, the world doesn't need more mindfulness. It needs more earthiness. Liz, unpack your journey for us, because we have a lot of listeners who are going through a lot of transitions in their life. And you're someone that has navigated that in the seven-year cycle, um, which is significant. Um, so yeah, talk about it from the beginning. Like what, how did all this happen and what was it like for you to feel that, like, you know, the excitement and the fear of, of change in your life? I love that you mentioned the seven year cycles because I'm starting to see that as, um, you know, prime theme in my, in my adulthood. Um, but I, so to, to go back about, uh, let's see, eight years ago or so, I had a business, um, Belinda mentioned it, and um, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area and I, uh, it, marketing is kind of like um, employee engagement, if that means anything to your listeners, uh, but basically helping employees feel good and connected to their jobs and to the mission of their companies. And so we worked with large multinational companies in tech and healthcare and financial services. And I was all in on that career, really all in. Um, and, you know, just to relate it to the work that I do now, I, at the time, as I understood it, felt like I was being a really good, I'm putting that in air quotes, good feminist as well, in that 
um, I had an all female team. Most of my clients were female. I, um, I was on the board of a women's nonprofit and we funded a scholarship for girls in the Bay area. And I was like, I am doing it, man. I'm doing the thing, you know, I'm, I am supporting women and, um, and I'm all in on this business career. And this is sort of how I understood success should be. And especially for me as a woman, um, like the doors that are open to me, were not open to my mother and they weren't open to my grandmother. And so the fact that I'd chosen to walk through them and do this was kind of meant I was doing the right thing, if there is such a thing. But the short story is I went to a business conference uh, in the spring of 2014, and um, I was there to win corporate clients. And, and what happened instead is I heard a woman speaking, uh, a woman named Dr. Elizabeth Kapuolani Lindsay, who is um, native Hawaiian and a National Geographic explorer. And um, she started talking about these Polynesian wayfinders and how they could sail for thousands of miles between these islands without using any of the modern instruments that all the Europeans assumed that you had to have. But she also wove in, she was talking specifically about ancestral ways of knowing how these teachings had been passed down orally for thousands of years. And she talked about heart knowing and how they were able to navigate these distances um, by watching nature and by listening to the wisdom in their bodies. And I had a very physical reaction to her words, just full bodied, uh, like heat and the room got all shimmery and I like couldn't hear her for a minute. It was just, it was wild. It was really, <laughs> really wild. And, and I, these were not, this is not an experience that was in my, my world, you know, like it, it, and I should clarify that it felt nice. It was not scary. It felt, it felt good. <laughs> But it was really shocking. And as dramatic as it sounds, that really was like a before and after moment in my life because I felt so alive and it felt like a call from my soul of like, hey, I know you think you're on the right path and, and you are, you know, you've been doing the thing that you were going to do that's made you happy, but <laughs> there's something else perhaps that is far larger than you could possibly imagine at this moment. So, you know, however you want to imagine the forces that be kind of like shaking me and being like, let me get your attention. You can have one of those moments and then just revert back to your day-to-day -day life very easily in the sense of like, oh, that was amazing. And then maybe read a book. And so what is then that next step to sort of say like, how do I trust it? Well, I want to go back to what you said about like, you can have one of those moments and then just go back to everyday reality. Um, I don't know why, but I could not, it did not feel like a conscious choice in my body. Like it was that loud. And I will say that, you know, I mean, nothing ever just happens in a vacuum, right? Like where our lives are, the moments are built on each other. So if I were to really look back into my life and say, were there little knocks, you know, before, sure, I can probably find them, but they were little knocks. And then I could be like, this is cool. Or this is weird. You know, this is a little, this is a little too out of my, my comfort zone. So I am going to ignore this, but this felt like it honestly felt like it was designed to, to, to shake me and be like, you, we're not playing around anymore. Like there, you are here. There's something else you need to be doing and paying attention to. And I felt, I mean, i I felt like I hadn't been awake until that point. And then it was like 
or maybe I hadn't eaten. Maybe that's a better word that I hadn't eaten. And all of a sudden somebody showed me this food and I'm like, oh my God, I'm starving. Please just feed me, feed me, feed me. That's, that's sort of how it felt. And so I felt like I had to follow it. And I, I just remember she was the first speaker at the conference and, um, you know, I was there for the rest of the day and I, I had invested in like, you know, fancy shoes and a fancy bag and all of this stuff. I was in a Winby compliance. And I'm telling you, I was absolutely useless after that point. I was Googling wayfinders on my phone and, um, I, I was, I was immediately down a rabbit hole of, I need to understand. And, and my limited understanding of that time was, well, it must be something about these wayfinders in particular. So I got to go find out about those wayfinders. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, there may have been more resources out there than I was aware of, but at the time there didn't seem like there was a lot. Um, I found a book by a guy named Wade Davis, who's a a fellow National Geographic explorer um, who wrote about them. And he also wrote about other indigenous cultures. And, And then that was sort of my foray into like, Oh, wait a minute. And I think part of what was happening too was that being in the business world and especially in a field like employee engagement, I felt a lot of pressure to prove that there was an ROI on humanity, on treating people decently, right? Like, why are you going to invest in employee engagement unless you can prove that it's going to move the needle on something, Mm. which really bothered me, you know, but I felt like I had to play by those rules. Like, really, we have to answer why we need to be kind to each other in terms of dollars. This is, this isn't right. (laughs) But I felt like I had to play in this space of data and logic and rational thought, because those are the only ways that had been shown to me. Those were the ways. And I, and there was always like a fundamental rub for me of like, this doesn't feel like it fits who I am completely. And so I think part of it was this opening of like, there are other ways of being in the world. There are other ways of knowing in the world. And, and while I'm saying this, I have to acknowledge that, of course, it seems very obvious to me as a white woman of European descent, that that awareness would have to come from an indigenous culture because nothing in my ancestral DNA, or you got to go way, way, way back, was going to teach me this. Um, so it, it had to be, that door had to be opened by, by indigenous wisdom. I, I, I wasn't going to get there otherwise. And so I started following, you know, like I want to learn about other indigenous traditions and I want to understand shamanism. And again, at the time I have to acknowledge that I think a lot of what I was reading, there was written by people of Western European descent, white people who are still going out and observing cultures. So I don't know how authentic of a picture I was getting. I don't know how colored it was by a colonial lens, but what I do know is that it was enough to keep that activation going and to keep my heart and my, my body. It was a very embodied thing. My body kind of expanding into these different ways of knowing. After that conference, how did you then start cultivating or, or being able to follow those clues in, in a way of like trust and surrender? Like what happened after, you know, what happened in your, with, when you went back home, when you went back to work, like that's the part that's oftentimes the hardest, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a information junkie. So I was reading a lot, um, but I'll tell you something that was interesting that was happening 
is I'm reading these books and whatever I can get my hands on, I'm just kind of following one leads me to another. And I would be fascinated with what I'm reading, like laying in bed at night, reading this, like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. And then I just fall asleep. And I'm like, how did this even happen? And I honestly think my brain was rewiring itself. I think, I think that I was, I think I was learning a different way of thinking and being, and my body literally had to shut down to allow time for whatever. I'm not a brain scientist, but you know, for whatever those neural pathways to be laid down and to develop so that I could continue learning and, and expanding. And then stuff just started getting kind of weird. Like I, I had never remembered my dreams. All of a sudden I'm remembering my dreams and they're crazy vivid and they're featuring like animals and stuff. And, and then I start seeing things, you know, like in both in like meditation, you know, and visions. And then like in the sky, like, you know, animals in the clouds and, and in the steam on shower doors and just all of these things that, um, just, again, were just not part of my world. <laughs> so you were meditating at this time because I, I think part of, um, you know, I think before you were, went to this conference, you, so you were already, whether it's dabbling or, you know, you had a practice of meditation. So it wasn't just sort of out of the blue necessarily. I had spent a little bit of time learning about the, the eightfold path of Buddhism, but um, my practice was mainly just to sit for 15, 20 minutes every morning before I started my day. And it, it had started as much as like a stress relieving thing as possible or as anything else. But what was different for me in this, like my mindfulness practice was all up here and was just about clearing thoughts. And what was happening to me felt much more like, you know, for just for all the negative connotations attached to it, it felt magical. It felt like magic. It was not like about just being empty. It was like, no, there's some super cool stuff happening. Pay attention. It was kind of the opposite in a way. So fast forward us from that conference, that moment to then really what I'm hearing is moving from the Bay Area and San Francisco to Virginia and you know, what was that transition? So it took me about a year and a half to, to sell my company. Um, and what basically happened, I, I also had a child uh, in that time period as well. And so um, when he was born, that experience of childbirth really pushed me into looking back at some of the things that I had been reading and studying. And here's where I think you see the the white male influence becoming part of this, because I saw very clearly that um there was like a, a feminine essence that was missing. Like it was present in some of these teachings, but it wasn't being named. And so for me, that was the real, like that was when everything kind of fell into place, which it was like, I'm not just learning about these different ways of being. I'm also learning that from my culture and my tradition, the, fem the feminine aspect of the sacred has been deliberately erased and obscured. And that felt like my sacred calling. Like, oh, I, this is, at least a huge part of why I'm being called. I'm being called to fill this in, to learn about this and to possibly share this with other people. And so I sold my company. Um, I had no real plan for anything. I, you know, kind of just, it fell apart. You know, I, I had, I had put so much of my identity into my, um, my work and the fact that I owned this company and my success in the business world. And it, it took a while to put myself back together. What's a while? Give us some sense of 
What does a while look like or mean to you? I would say at least there was like at least a year I was in a solid grieving place, like really, really grieving. Um, that's where the embodied practice started to come in for me. I, I started to go much deeper into my asana practice of yoga just because I f- could feel that I was grounding myself and processing and, and releasing, releasing this grief and understanding it. And I really do want to name it. It's funny. I haven't done that before, but I feel like I do want to name it as grief. It is real. You know, when you are really deeply invested in your career and and your identity is wrapped up in that, which I think is very normal for our culture. It is, it's a grieving process to let that go, to let a version of yourself die. So this is, you're just naming this right now for the first time, which is fantastic. Cause I feel like oftentimes in this space, however you want to define the space, we, we talk about change, right? Like, and transformation um, and practices and rituals. Um, but it's always about in some ways the next thing as opposed to what does it really take to acknowledge the letting go of whatever is or was. Um, and that sort of grieving element, we don't sort of really spend a lot of time on it. And I think that it's really important that we figure out how to actually, as opposed to what am I trying to become, right? Like Michelle Obama's book is a becoming. And really what is it, what is it to let go? Um, and, and in some ways you can't become without really letting go. And so w- what that sort of acknowledgement is, and I think that's the perfect word is, is to grieve because then it's sort of allowing that sadness. And then it's sort of, cause it feels weird then all of a sudden, cause you're like, Hey, there was this identity where I was maybe disconnected and I was maybe focused on kind of traditional business or, you know, career goals. And so then is it awkward to sort of grieve letting that go? And it's like, no, that's the identity that was there, whether, and it served you to get you where you are. And so even, you know, through the good, the bad, the ugly, it's there. And so how do we actually acknowledge it and not feel, feel weird about it? I did the in-between thing, which we sometimes do sometimes when we know something's over, but we're trying to make a bridge without making life too hard. I was like, oh, I've had this awakening. Like maybe I can bring this into my current job somehow. So I was like going out and meeting people who are like at mindful conferences and things. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to gonna pivot my business somehow to focus on this instead of ignoring the call that like maybe my business career was over. But I think for me, a lot of it was the movement practice really helped me. Um, I did a lot of sleeping (laughs) and I need to acknowledge that I was lucky in that I had a partner who had a job who, you know, I had, I had the luxury of time to, to decompress and to go through some of this. And I just, I want to name that. I know not everybody has that. I know that it's not easy for everybody, but, um, I did a lot of sleeping. I did a lot of movement practice and I found amazing grove of redwood trees, not far from my house. And I would go lay in this circle of redwood trees and just cry. And sometimes I'd fall asleep there. It was amazing. I missed them. Um, but there was that theme of nature as medicine, um, really being present in the body and not in the sitting, you know, not in the, just the mindfulness sitting where I'm going to clear my mind, but really like feeling things in the body and allowing them move through, those were a couple of the most important things 
that I did. And those are things that for me, again, in my own lineage and history, I associate with um, the feminine aspect that's kind of been suppressed. And what are some of those practices now that you know you can hold with a little bit more intention as opposed to the you know strike from lightning of a podium and and really now can sort of cultivate it and and bring it to others well i've referenced the connection to nature um that is a it's a big big part of my practice um what does a connection to nature mean so it keeps changing, but um, I'll give you an example. I have a, a little bench in the, well, so first of all, we, you ask about the, the move. Uh, we lived in California for many years. It wasn't until 2020 that we sold our house, moved my family into an RV for eight months and drove across the country looking for our next place to live. And that was rural Virginia. <laughs> um, and so I wanted I wanted to feel more connected to the land. So one part was literally changing my existence, like where I am so that I can feel more uh, grounded and in touch with the land in a way that I felt like I couldn't be um, where we were living in California. Um, I have some woods behind my house. So just kind of raw untouched woods. And I have a little bench out there and um, I, I try every day to do it. Sometimes I don't make it every day but I have a practice of just literally sitting and just sitting and watching. And it is not a mindfulness practice. Like I'm watching, I'm watching for the magic. I am looking to see what's going to show up. And sometimes the magic is very earth-based, you know, it's like a little turtle crawling out from under, or like there was a Fox hanging out with me one day. That was amazing. And other times it's very otherworldly. Like, you know, as dusk falls and everything gets shimmery and the trees look like they're kind of like, I don't know, they're like alive or something. But part of that is my practice. Um, I have been called to spend more time barefoot. So I'm just listening, you know, if, if I feel like these things show up and I'm like, okay, I need to spend more time outside barefoot. Um, I need to forage. <laughs> I'm just, I'm like a beginning forager at the moment. I'm, I need to actually take food out of the dirt and eat it. This is important. So some of these are, are my practices. Um, and with my kids, as well as, you know, just for me, it's paying attention to the seasons, paying attention to the smaller cycles of nature. I look for the moon every day. Uh, I try to operate my calendar on a lunar cycle as opposed to the Gregorian calendar. It just makes more sense. Uh, I publish my podcast on every new and full moon, which is not the same day every two weeks. And I'm okay with that. Um, and then just bringing in these nature um, these nature festivals and these nature celebrations. So Beltane was last week. That's like the, you know, fire festival and the pagan tradition. Traditionally, like in Ireland, you would, you would have lit fires and people would jump the fire to mark a new start. And it also has lots of sexual undertones about, you know, marriage of the, um, the king to the land and all this. So I don't obviously bring that in with my kids, but <laughs> we usually have some sort of like local inspired food. We did this yesterday because I'm always a week behind on these family celebrations. So we did it, you know, like a week after, but um, I, I always try to choose some kind of seasonal food that's in season that's local right here. And then we, we did our own little fire ceremony where we were letting things go. So you know, things like that. And it's actively... Like I have a little book, I'm writing it down. It, it is actively in practice. I don't have set things and I, I may never, you know, but it's, I feel like maybe part of my point in this lifetime is to receive, like to receive these practices 
and to start to anchor them for not just for me, but for my descendants so that they have them. And this is a we've been exploring in the last few podcasts is what is that balance between listening to ancestral practices and then grounding them to this context and time that we're in. And and I really appreciate that it's not just about, hey, download this app, meditate 20 minutes a day, and you'll rewire your brain, right? Like that's sort of been the kind of dominant sort of theme for, let's say, 10, 20 years. Um, and, you know, obviously with technology kind of accelerating that in the last 10. And, and so then it's more emergent, right? Which is then to say, yes, there are practices, but they have not yet been codified in any particular way. And maybe that is part of the problem is that we have a tendency uh, in mainstream culture to try to codify things um, as opposed to allow, you know, that emergence um, to really guide on a day-to-day basis. And then what are those sort of practices that we have that allow us to be open, but they're not rigid? Um, that's what I, I'm hearing you say. I'm curious as you're you know, going through all these things, and I don't know if this is a, a gender bias question or not, but I'm going to say it anyways. What was your partner going through? And yeah, what was that dynamic? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Well, I get this question from women too. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's all good. Um, I think, you know, in the beginning, um, so I, I'm, I'm lucky to have a really supportive partner. We've been together for um, 17 years now. And um, so I think in the beginning, he was a little bewildered. Uh, I think he's always like, he's always kind of had my back, you know, like, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to start your business. Great. You're going to, you know, okay. All right. You want to leave it. Okay. But I, I don't think he really understood. Um, he, he didn't really, he didn't really understand what was happening to me. He didn't have a frame of reference, um, in his body or in his life or his experiences to relate to it. Um, and, and in some ways I would say that's still like what's happening for me is not what's happening for him. Um, over the years, as this has, has evolved, I think um, from a very practical standpoint, it has opened up his understanding. And I think he would agree with this, um, his understanding of um, the way that feminine and feminine knowing has been suppressed in our culture and how that affects him specifically as a man and as a father, um, and has, has encouraged him to, um, to actively be aware of that and to, and to work with that knowledge and to look at ways he can change that. And then on more of like the spiritual practice, there are things that we share together, like the you know, the family celebrations and things like that. I think he really likes that. Uh, We have an ancestor altar in our, in our house, and he's very committed to tending that as much as I am. And then there are other practices that are more mine. Like he's not walking around outside barefoot (laughs) or sitting out in the woods (laughs) for extended periods of time yet. (laughs) It could happen. I don't know. I appreciate the growth mindset. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Liz, what I hear from you hearing the story and just Omar's, you know, reflections as well is like your journey has been around integrating the feminine and the masculine. And then what I'm hearing is you had to figure out what is the feminine 
because it got lost along the way over the years, like many, many years ago. And even the fact that you have a daughter and a son, like, is kind of encouraging you to look at both. And the relationship with your husband, you know, how are you living your life? How are you pr- make, making these practices sacred? You know, documenting them, which is, a you know, the structure of the masculine, which is beautiful. And then there's the beauty of the feminine, which is emergence, you know, like, I'm going to follow my intuition about what feels good. And I'm going to bring that and, and we're going to create some structure, you know, and you, I mean, you wrote a book, you have a podcast. So there's beautiful ways in which you bring that structure into your family and into the, into the world so that people can enjoy what that is and that wisdom. Um, and you're also very explicit about, you know, I don't know what's going to, what I'm going to do tomorrow. We'll see, you know, and I'm, I can be a week behind you know, the schedule, that's fine. So I'm just really appreciating the very specific ways that you are holding both and figuring out, well, what is wholeness for, for your, for you, your family, and how can they actually like then cultivate that going forward? And it feels like it's more of that bringing it together for the forward movement versus like being kind of burdened by the past. Oh, I appreciate you reflecting back to me. Like, yeah, if I can write a book, I've got some sort of, and I'm speaking and we're speaking in very general terms here, right? Like in terms of like, there's almost, if you're not careful, there's a way in which that can be stereotypical masculine feminine. So I just want to, you know, acknowledge that. Um, I think, you know, what came up for me, Belinda, as you were kind of reflecting that back to me is, um, the word that came to me is just mess, like messiness. I, I really feel like um, culturally, or at least my experience of the dominant culture is that we just haven't had a lot of rootedness. We haven't had a lot of groundedness. We haven't had a lot of inquiry around these things. And so it feels like um, a task that's been given to me in this lifetime to try and sort this out and figure out what the dance of these polarity energies look like. We don't even have to call them masculine and feminine if you don't want to, but like the structure versus the flow, that that's a task that's been given to me in this lifetime to figure out how to dance with it, not even to figure it out, but just to figure out how to dance with it. And you're right, so that I can, and maybe it's because I have children, but it does feel increasingly important so that I can gift this practice to them, or they can at least witness me doing it. Like they can just see it. And again, not because I got it right or not, but just so they've got something, they've got some kind of roadmap. And I think if we weave in what is happening at a larger scale in terms of climate change, ecological collapse, and possibly, you know, whole systems collapse, like if we really if, if you feel that we're in, in the end stages of capitalism as I do, then that ability to dance and, and be in the messiness is so important. It's going to just get more and more and more important. So we have to, and, and I feel like um, those of us that are alive as adults right now, um, I don't, I don't even have to put an age range on that necessarily, but those of us that are alive right now as adults, it has been handed perhaps to all of us to figure out how we're going to how we're going to navigate this and what we're going to pass down to the people that are coming after us. I'm curious if we were to pull a card right now, you know, with this, because I feel like what you've just named in terms of 
both the personal context of children and then the kind of global, this is the think global, act local that we kind of in some ways talked about at the beginning is there's a context that of uh, a change in systemic cycles. And, you know, if you're watching the markets right now, <laughs> it is definitely, you know, we're in, we're, looks like we're headed into a downward sort of motion. And so this is in some ways a great time to sort of like, well, what is going to be reborn? If you'd like to name an intention more specifically uh, before pulling a card, I invite you to do so. I'm just really feeling the word emergence today, you know, like embracing that concept of emergence and allowing, and maybe, maybe there's like flow uh, that's tied to that as well, you know, sort of trusting a flow of larger patterns and allowing, um, allowing wisdom to emerge out of what we might deem as chaos, which of course is probably just brilliant order we're not wise enough to get (laughs) number 16 touch me not sorrow sorrow can come from the courage to love acknowledge the bravery behind any sorrow you notice or feel so as you look at this flower this theme this prompt what comes up for you i think it takes me back to grief and the grieving and the letting go i i um there's a lot of ways in which we can look at the future that's coming at us and it's scary. Um, but I wonder if allowing the sorrow to be and allowing the grieving, like that's such an important part before we can get to any transformation. And Omar, you kind of named that too, of how we like to just skip past the grieving and get to like the rosy future or whatever, or, ah, I have transformed. And so I guess what this means to me is like, allowing ourselves to be in the, in the grieving, like not to be, not to be afraid of that. Yeah. I recently had my own uh, epiphany around this. We languaging wise, we're more likely to want to forget something than to forgive. Uh, And if you just break those words apart, like forget, like we want to get more, (laughs) right? As opposed to forgive, which is like, what do I need to give? And and so to forgive is then to actually embrace, I think, oftentimes really the underlying sorrow um, and acknowledging that sorrow as opposed to forgetting about it and trying to like look past it or numb, you know. And so to really then embrace um, these feelings. So then that way we can truly acknowledge something and be in a place to really appreciate it for whatever it was. And, and then, you know, we can finally sort of allow that emergence uh, to take place. I also want to present something that a friend said to me, or she wrote it, and I, it has really been speaking to me. She, is, uh, she was actually on my podcast, and she's been an acting coach for something like 50 years. And um, she wrote a Haggadah, which is the sacred text that accompanies Passover. Um, the Jewish Passover tradition, and she wrote it in the voices of Jewish foremothers. But in her writing about acting, she made this comment that any feeling truly felt leads to joy. Any feeling truly felt and truly expressed leads to joy. So even in the sorrow, if you can allow, you know, that to really infiltrate your body and to move through that process, there is actually there's joy in that too. And that felt so 
heart nourishing to me because I often associate a joy with just being happy all the time. And I'm like, well, who the heck can pull that off? That seems impossible. But this feels like a joy that I can that I can I can work with. Liz, I would love as a closing practice for you to share how you use the gratitude blooming cards with your children because you actually were the author of the family booklet and so I would love for you to describe for those listeners who have children in their families or work with children how do you hold space for the young ones mhm this has been really fun for our family. And I have to say, we started this when my son, I think, was about three and a half. So I think depending on your child, um, maybe that may be too young or maybe not for him. He's this deep little kid who will ask me questions like, hey, mom, where did the universe start? And then the next question will be like, hey, mom, what's for dinner? <laughs> he really is that kind of kid. But um, <laughs> we started this on a trip. We went, we went to Scotland um, a few years ago and I wanted to bring a deck of cards with me. I wanted to bring the gratitude deck and um, I just offered it as a way like, hey, kids, would you like to draw one too while we were there? And they loved it. They loved it. And so um, we experimented for a while with doing like one every day. That was a bit too much for the kids. So what we do now is we we draw one usually on Sunday night or on Monday as our theme for the week. And what's kind of neat, my daughter, I now have a couple sets of the cards and my daughter has her own set up in her room. So sometimes and she's 10. So some days she'll be like, I don't want to draw with the family. I already drew my own card and it's on my, it's on my altar upstairs. So <laughs> Amazing. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But um, what we'll do is we'll, we'll draw the cards and then we just try to weave it into conversation at least a couple times a week during dinner. Like, did this come forward for you? Did this not, you know, and in case anybody wants to do this with their kids, I mean, but, you know, some days are slam dunks and other days the kids will be like, no, you know, they don't want to talk about it. It's, it's, it's normal. Um, and then when we draw a new one, we usually try and reflect back on, on the week before and what we learned as well. So it's a really sweet practice that we've been doing for gosh, like four years now. And, um, you know, in the family booklet, there are activities and things that you can do as well. And we've obviously, we've done a lot of those too, but, um, I think it's also another anchoring practice for your family, just for, you know, just a way in which you can pause everybody from the active doing, doing busy, busy, and just bring us back into that heart knowing place, that heartfulness place, I guess. Mm. Well, I'm really feeling the beauty of listening to those lightning bolt moments. Um, and having the courage to follow it, acknowledging the grief of that change and that transformation, acknowledging the sort of systemic cultural problems and challenges um, that as a society we face. And then our just very personal day-to-day choices of like, how do we want to shape the next generation's perspective on these things and what is the context in which they're going to grow up. And so we can hold both the global challenges and really just be present to what we can do underneath our own feet. Thank you. It's wayfinding for the new day. (laughs) Ultimately. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Liz, um, for folks that want to hear more about your podcast and your book, can you tell us, you know, where to find it? Yeah. So the podcast is called Home to Her. You can find it on my website too. It's hometoher.com. I release it every full moon and new moon. I'm a little off cycle right now. This is also part of the practice is allowing myself not to be like so regimented, you know, so occasionally I miss the moon. It happens. And then I am on Instagram. If you're on social, it's home to her. I also have a Facebook group where we discuss these topics of the divine feminine, and that's called Home to Her as well. And the book comes out this fall. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Liz. Yeah, thank you for having me. Cheers. 